Out of the ashes and into the light, a tooth was found to help give insight. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host. Tonight, I'm going to talk about the case of Kathleen Katie Poirier and Donald Blum. Katie Poirier was born in Minnesota. She was an outgoing, friendly, and bubbly girl. Had a great personality. She graduated high school in 1998, then decided that she wanted to go to community college. She was going to take up criminal justice. But she didn't exactly know where she wanted to go yet. She didn't know if she wanted to be a police officer or a game warden because she loved animals. She was recently engaged by her longtime boyfriend, Mark, and she was working as a clerk at the Canoco by Moose Lake. It was your local convenience store slash gas station. Her mother wasn't really thrilled about her job because her hours were overnight, but she knew her daughter was old enough, and she was going to do it anyways. Katie was very trusting, so she never thought anything could happen. On May 26th of 1999, around midnight, a call came in to 911. It was a man who was at the Moose Lake convenience store. It was open, but there was nobody working there. The place was empty. Police arrive, and right away, they can tell something's not right. It didn't seem like a robbery. The register was still full of cash. Katie's belongings were still there. Her car keys, her car. So at this point, they really don't know what it is that they're dealing with. Was this a prank? Did she take off with her friends? Did she take off with her fiancé? They noticed there was a pile on one of the counters. And this pile had cash and little notes attached to them. Pretty much people who came in had no one to pay, still wanted their stuff, took it, wrote it down, and left. So now that's another question. How long has she been missing? Luckily, this store did have working cameras. Four, to be exact. But that was only on the inside. They weren't the best quality cameras, but, I mean, something was better than nothing. At 11.38, they see a white male come in, and he forces her out of the front door of the store. It looked as if the man was walking behind her with his hands wrapped around her neck. They now know this is serious. This store was right off of DJ's Expressway, so they know that they could have gone multiple ways And at that time of night, I'm sure he could probably get far. He had a good lead. After word got out about the abduction, tips started coming into the police department. A couple different callers reported seeing a black truck. One woman working at a subway reported seeing a man sitting in the truck watching a group of girls in the parking lot. It creeped her out so much that she tried to remember his license plate and wrote it down. She only got the first three digits, which was 557, and the last one was a letter. Why? That gave him something to work on. And another call came in about the black truck 
saying that it appeared to be like driving in circles. So clearly this guy, he's looking for something. They run reports on the black truck with what they had and they go down the list. There are hundreds of these. So they start trying to play process of elimination. And they don't even know if this truck is in fact involved, but right now it's the only lead they have to go on. Search crews formed and thousands of people were on foot looking in the parks, around the lakes. You know, Minnesota is known for like being the state of 10,000 lakes. While people were searching on foot, they also had helicopters in the sky. They were looking for the black truck or any sign of Katie. Since the video did not have great quality, they decided that they were going to send it to David Hathaway, PhD. He's a solar physicist that works with NASA. He used Visar, which stabilizes photos. In addition, it removes noise or that snow effect from videos. The technology also corrects for horizontal and vertical camera motion, as well as the rotation and zoom effects. It produces clear images of moving objects. It smooths the jagged edges and it enhances still images. The FBI has used Hathaway a lot for criminal cases. They helped refine the Visar technology, improving it so that it could be transferred to companies that produce video enhancement systems for law enforcement, military, and even home computers. So they took the even frames and the odd frames and put the two videos together. Now, it didn't make the picture crystal clear. It still wasn't great quality, but you could tell things that you couldn't with the first one you couldn't see really like facial features but you could see that he had either gray or blonde hair they thought he was somewhere probably about 510 with an average build probably about 170 pounds and he was wearing a yankees jersey with the number 23 on it They had a sketch artist come in and put together a composite of what they thought that he probably looked like and what he was wearing. Maybe someone will recognize the jersey. Tips, they poured in. You know, they got to check on the sexual predators that live in the area. There was a lot of work that needed to be done. It wasn't until three weeks in when they got their first clue That's when their spidey senses were really tingling. Tip number 1960 came into 911 dispatch from a woman who worked with the Minnesota Veterans Home. She wanted to call to report their janitor, Donald Hutchinson. She said that she noticed after the night that Katie went missing, he didn't show up for work the next day. When he did come back, he had completely changed his appearance by giving himself a more clean-cut look. She also said she's seen him in a jersey. And, before I forget, that he has a black truck. But ever since that abduction, he stopped driving it. In the video that they saw, they thought the man could be younger. But 
Don was 50. He was married. He had four kids. He was your typical guy. But when they took a deeper look into his past, alarm bells went a-ringing. He was previously in prison for rape, assault, and kidnapping back in the 1970s. Scary enough, that wasn't his last time. 1983 is when he abducted two girls and took them to an isolated area in the woods by knife point, where he tied them up to a tree. They were able to get away before they were assaulted, and they turned him in. So, of course, now they have to go check on him. But when they get there, they don't find any signs of a black truck or Katie. They learned that he did have other properties. Don also owned a 20-acre property at Moose Lake, which was 12 miles from that convenience store. He told him, I got an alibi. I'm innocent. So they're like, all right, well, we're not finding anything here. Let's go check out the rental property. Then we can cross them off the list. It was starting to look like it was going to be the same thing. No black truck, no Katie. But as they're walking around this property, one officer came across a fire pit. So he's kind of poking and prodding, seeing what he can find. And there were small fragments that looked like bones. They just didn't know if it was going to turn out to be human or animal. They bagged all that shit and gave it to forensic anthropologist Susan Thurston Meister, Ph.D. She put all the bones and fragments into three different piles. One that was for humans. One that was for animals. And ones that were just way too small to even attempt. (laughs) Human bone looks circular. As animal bones are different, they're linear. I mean, it looked like spaghetti when I looked at the comparison. It's involving one dimension only. She was able to say that the bones that were found of human belonged to a female. She was able to tell that because a pubic bone was found. She also found a piece of the skull. Now, what this told her was how old the female most likely was, and that's between the ages of 17 and 24. She was able to determine this because the skull sutures were still open. These sutures close typically around the age of 35. Unfortunately, they couldn't get any DNA from any of the bones because they were only working with 25% of the skeleton. But they were in luck for another reason, and that's because, other than bones, teeth were found. There was one tooth that seemed to be in really good condition, and it was a big tooth. So that's the one they're like, we're going to work with this one. They sent that tooth to the forensic scientist, forensic ontodontist, Mark Nelson, who analyzed the tooth and noticed this tooth had a filling but it was made of something he's never seen before. It had zirconium and silicone dioxide in it. When they went to go pay a visit to Katie's dentist, she told them that Katie was just there for that filling 
two weeks before she went missing. It was tooth number 18. She said that while she was at a dental conference, she was given a sample of a new way of treating cavities. This product wasn't even on the market yet. Guess what it contained? Zyconium and silicon dioxide. The same materials that were found in the fire pit. They knew. They found Katie. Police went back to Don's house and did a little bit more snooping. This time, they found the black truck. It was hidden in a garage. How they missed it before, I don't know. Maybe they didn't look there. Nobody knows. They checked the registry. He did not come up. So they're confused. How does he have it? Turns out, when they checked the registration for the truck, they listed it as white. It was a clerical error. On June 21st, 1999, they arrested Donald. And he was charged with murder. Once he saw all the evidence they had against him, he pled guilty. He was cold. He pretty much said, you know, he went into the store. He forced her to go with him. He put her in his truck, drove her over to his rental property, where he walked her over to the fire pit, choked her from behind, and then burned her. Two weeks later, he tried to say that he was coerced into making a confession. That he didn't really do that. They found a receipt in his truck from a liquor store that was located near the Conoco on the same day. This is at 5 p.m. The subway lady saw him at 8 p.m. 9 p.m. was when he was seen circling and he took her at 11.23. Maybe he saw her earlier in the day and he wanted to come back when she was alone. Trial began in June 2000. Over 50 witnesses were called to testify during the case. (laughs) It's a lot. Video surveillance, witness reports, testimonies from the two women who Donald kidnapped in 1983. Everybody was there. They testified about what he had done to them. His barber took the stand and said that at the time, his hair had blonde tips. And that's what made him appear to look younger. Guys, don't do it. If you just had a light bulb come on, smash it. Donald's defense attorney, Rodney Broden, presented his wife, Amy, as his first witness on August 7th. She testified that he had returned home about 9.30 p.m. on the night of Katie's disappearance. They went to bed together. When she woke up in the morning, he had a pot of coffee going. So she had no reason to believe he had been anywhere else. According to Wikipedia, she also accused the police of threatening to take her children away if she did not answer the questions the way that they wanted her to. She also denied ever seeing any baseball jersey in the clothing given to him. But his own brother took the stand and said that he knows he did have that jersey. Of course, his defense attorneys stated that another man had confessed to this crime, but he was never arrested. 
Donald took the stand in his own defense. He had been out fishing at Moose Lake on that evening of the kidnapping, and he was home by 10 o'clock. When the prosecutor Thomas Pertler cross-examined him, pretty much the only thing he was getting out of Donald was yes or no answers. Do you own the jersey? No. Did you do this? No. The jury went off for deliberation. That dental filling was their smoking gun. He was ultimately convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life without parole. He was also given a 19-year sentence for possession of firearms found at his property. By the time of his conviction, over $200,000 had been spent on this case. The state legislator strengthened Minnesota's sex offender laws with longer prison terms for repeat offenders. It's a bill now known as Katie's Law. Katie's Law gives stiffer penalties for convicted sex offenders and mandates on ways to track them. The Conoco chain also changed their policies, and now they have to have at least two people on every shift. He was a registered sex offender involved in five cases of kidnapping and sexual assault prior to Katie's murder. They're actually suspecting that he's probably really a serial killer. He never should have been paroled. There was a pattern of abuse and kidnapping here, obviously. Donald's father abused him from the time he was very young until he was about 13. By the time he reached adolescence, he was already a heavy drinker and exhibited behavioral problems. In the 10th grade, he went to a reform school, but he didn't go to the classes half the time. In 1975, Donald kidnapped a 14-year-old girl, gagged her, and raped her. He locked her in his trunk, but she was able to escape, and she turned him in. He was tried and convicted. In 1978, he committed aggravated assault. In 1983, he was arrested for criminal sexual conduct. During an examination in 1992, a psychologist predicted that if Donald was not closely monitored, he would probably engage in additional antisocial behavior. I mean, that wasn't exactly the case with him, though, because he managed to change his name. He got a job. He got married, had kids. But by May of 1999, he had six felony convictions, five of which involved kidnapping and sexual assault. Why was this man out? He said he didn't know why he committed the crime. He tried to appeal his conviction, but his wife Amy emailed two of the Minnesota's legislators stating that she believed that he really did do these murders and that he abused her for seven years. She told them that he lied. He said he had never been married when he was married twice before. And when they got married, he wanted to take her name. She was flattered. She didn't know that it was really a cover-up to conceal his past. She also told him that he went to that property quite frequently and never really told her why. She truly believes that he had committed other crimes, including murder. She wanted to tell the truth. 
she was scared before, and that he, in fact, was not home on the night of Katie's kidnapping. They are now looking into a couple other cases that they do suspect that he might have let a hand in. A 19-year-old Wisconsin student, Holly Sprangler, in 1993, her body was found in the woods. At that time, Donald, going by Donald Pence, he was a registered sex offender, and he was one of the top suspects in the case. Another one was in 1983, Wilma Johnson. Her body was found near St. Paul Cathedral. He admitted that he was at that crime scene, but he denied being the one who killed Wilma. All the facts from today's have come from Space Foundation, Forensic Files, Tooth or Consequences, and Wikipedia. This story has been the subject of many television true crime documentaries. Something people need to realize, and whether he truly was abused or not, but people who are abused as children, they become abusers themselves. They're angry. They get violent. If you or anyone you know is sexually or physically, mentally, any of that, abusing a child, shit, a teenager, anybody, you need to speak up. Because this could mean the difference between life and death, and not only for that person, but for a lot of others. Look at all of the other serial killers that were victims themselves. We need to make these laws... Stricter. I totally am in favor with Katie's law. I want to look into it a little bit more because I want it in all states. If you guys just keep letting them out on the streets, they're going to just keep doing what they do. It's a sickness. They can't help it. I don't even think they want to help it. Probably feeds their ego because when they were small, they were beat on. They felt helpless then. Now they're the one in power. Please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe. Leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. Just takes a second, and it means a lot for us. It also will let you know when new episodes are out and anything else that might be coming up. On my Patreon page, and you do not have to be a Patreon to participate, I have a poll going, and I'm probably going to add a couple of them on there just to see where everyone's head's kind of at. So if you are interested, please head over to the Patreon page. You can get to that from crimeovercocktails.com. Go to support. Or you can look up Crime Over Cocktails Patreon. That's simpler. And again, you do not have to be a Patreon to participate. It is open to everybody. And make sure you're following me on Instagram, Crime Over Cocktails, because kind of like last week was, oh my God, hot mess. (laughs) So... But if you follow me on Instagram, you would have known why and what was going on. If you didn't, you might have been like, hey, where's your episode? Plus, my Instagram is great because it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I give you your emotional support. I give you your dark humor. And I give you photos of what all these people look like. Don't act like you haven't been curious. So find me, Crime Over Cocktails. Feel free to reach out if there's an episode you want me to talk about, or if you want to be a guest on the show, 
Or even if you just want to say hi. Hi. All right, you guys. We'll talk crime another time. Bye.